It's good to see you guys. I'm excited. Today we're going to wrap up our Tension is Good series that we've been on in the month of October. Uh, and I'm really excited. I feel like God's going to uh, just kind of send us forth into the month of November um, with just stirring our heart. And so I pray that our hearts are just open to what He wants to speak to us today. Uh, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we've been, we, we talk about the tension, and there's some things in our life that are problems to be solved, and there's other things that are tensions to be managed. And, and we believe that the tension is good because these tensions, sometimes we find them, many times we find them in Scripture, that's what we've been doing. And what we are tempted to do is pick one or the other, pick faith or works when they're both tied. Or to pick something that's practical in our life, or something that's spiritual, and we want to pick whether this is a spiritual moment or a practical moment, and the answer is both. We want to pick in our life, or are we going to have this really deep ministry with the Lord, or are we going to really go out and evangelize? And the truth of the matter is it's both and it's deep and wide. And, and that's God's heart. And so today we're going to end this by talking about holiness and relevance, and we'll get into that in just a second. Um, but again, we say the tension's good because the tension, we believe, points us to the Lord. The tension you're experiencing in your life in different ways, you can allow it to break and like snap like a rubber band. There's a certain amount of tension that one of us can take. You guys ever felt like a rubber band that's about to snap if one more thing happens or one more thing goes wrong or you felt like that before. If one more person calls me and says this is broken or if there's one more bill that shows up that's due, I'm just, it's going to snap. There's certain tension. But we believe in that that tension can be good if it, if it points us to the Lord and through it, he purifies our motives and directs our steps. Uh, he purify our, purifies our motives and directs our steps. And so that's what uh, we're going to continue to look at today with this topic of holiness and relevance. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, there was a couple of TV shows, and they were cartoons that I couldn't watch. Like, they were on the do not watch list. Anybody have a do not watch list from when you were kids, or maybe you have it for your kids, or you used to have it for your kids? Those shows for me were the Smurfs and Simpsons. Like, those were on the do not watch list. You know, I know my mom was really worried that I'd begin to worship little blue Smurfs. I don't even know what they are. Um, and she didn't want me exposed to just the, the sarcasm of the Simpsons, which really worked out well, because um, <laughs> I'm really sarcastic. Um, no, there, there's a lot of really, you know, reasons why I, I think parents do that, and we as parents do that and need to do that. Um, but I, I really think as I'm weighing through just my own life and what God's doing, many times I, I feel like it was, uh, sometimes we operate out of fear of the culture, and we separate ourselves from culture so much that we lose the relevance. And so really what we're going to dive in today uh, of what it means um, to, to live both a holy life and a relevant life. And that it's not a matter of choosing a lane of are we going to be holy or are we going to be relevant but, I be relevant, but I believe Jesus is relevant. And relevance to Jesus is not so much tattoos and tight jeans or, you know, um, something cool within culture and media. That was not what made Jesus relevant. What made Jesus relevant was the spirit that was within him. It was the life of joy that he loved to obey the Father in faithfulness. That is what made him relevant, that in any moment, it wasn't that he had the, the most catchy illustration in his sermon. What it was, was there was a spirit within him, and he could perform the miraculous, and, and he had something real to offer. So as we begin to, to kind of wrestle with this tension and not pick one or the other, because that's what we'll be tempted to do. You, you might have been a part of a church at some point that you felt like, okay, they just kind of gave themselves over to relevance. Like they're just going to, you know, do everything they can to reach all people, you know, which is a text we'll look at today in just a second. 
or maybe you left a, uh, or, or you, you wanted to find it, or you left it because you're like, hey, they're not pursuing holiness enough, and so we kind of find ourselves at, at these, maybe picking a lane, but the truth of the matter is that the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is both holy and relevant, and we're called to live a life that's both holy and relevant, and it's not Relevance it isn't based off of what we think it is, but it's really off the life that God's called us to. So we'll dive into this um, today. And maybe the, the biggest way to, to illustrate this is Christ for culture or is he against culture? Is Christ for culture or is he against culture? Because in all the churches around here, we agree on a lot of things, but I, I'll tell you this. There's a different view of this in many churches. Like Some are like, hey, Christ is out to like, he hates culture, like you've heard the preaching, you've seen the picket lines. And then you see others that he's for culture, and it's like you can't tell the difference between God's people and, and the rest of the, the world. And I think we, we, we got, we're, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves picking a lane, and what we need to understand today is that Christ is both for and against culture. He's both for and against it. And so we're going to begin to get into some text today that will really reveal what our lives are supposed to look like, how we're supposed to parent, how we're supposed to be a neighbor, how we're supposed to be uh, a co-worker, and what that's really supposed to look like. We we have to get into this conversation of what does it look like for a Christian? What's their involvement in the world and connected to it? So we're going to look at two texts today uh, here in just a moment, but uh, when we talk about culture, many times we can immediately move our thoughts to macro culture, to media and politics and education and social media and movies and all that. We can move our brains to the macro culture, but I really want us to also think today about micro culture, the culture of your friends, the culture of your family, the culture of your workplace. Because before there was a change in macro culture, I believe that there was a change in micro culture, and we can have a really long conversation about this back and forth, but um, the, the, I, think, I believe the microculture should be shaping the macroculture, not the other way around. But many times, as Americans uh, especially, there's been uh, a tension there. There's been a tension that the macro is influencing the micro. But I believe the way the scripture and what God calls us to is the micro should be influencing the macro. And so we'll, we'll get into that today. Let, we're going to look at two texts. We've been doing this every single week. We'll start with kind of two different texts that maybe provide a little tension for us. And we feel like maybe they, they disagree a little bit. Or maybe you can kind of get a different idea off of one another and say, hey, this isn't about choosing one or the other. It's about embracing both and knowing that both of these scriptures are, are true and profitable for understanding and, and good uh, living and what God calls us to. So we need to understand how they're related. So let's first look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. It's a text that we find not only here in 1 Peter, but it's one we find in Leviticus a couple times. So it's in the Old Testament, it's also in the New Testament. He's actually quoting it here. For it's written, be holy because I'm holy. That's it, that's the end of the scripture. Be holy for I am holy. There's this real understanding about holiness, that we're sacred, we're set apart, that God is holy. He's not like any other gods. He's not just a God among gods. He's the one true living God. And, and, and he's holy, he's sacred, he's set apart, set apart in his thoughts. It's not the same as ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. His love is deeper than ours. His ways are not ours. His time does not operate on our time. 
Um, so he's set apart, and he's saying, I want you to be set apart too. Set aside yourself, set yourself aside uh, from profane things is really another text word, another Greek word we're going to look into that's very closely associated with holy as well. So be holy for I am holy. This has always been a, a difficult thing, um, I, I think, in our age because we, we feel like we've got to keep up. And I don't know about for you, when you came to Christ or, and you feel like you had to give up everything you loved and you enjoyed doing, and the truth of the matter is that we do have to give some things up that are in our hand, right? That we were just talking about the end of worship. There are some things we have to give up in our hand, but it's, it's for our good. It's releasing those things so that we can have the best things of God. So it's more about saying yes to the right things than it is about saying no to the wrong things. Both have to take place, but when we turn our attention to the goodness of God and, and think and dwell on things that are pure and holy, that's where our mind goes. I, I learned this really great trick as we begin to talk into. Let's go ahead and read the next text. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. A few verses here. This is Paul talking. Though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself, I'm not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not uh, free of God's law, I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. Like, all right, so we can find, right, both of these scriptures are true, I'm, be holy for I'm holy. But really, if, if we look at this text, we can really kind of see there's this relevance aspect. Like, we feel like, you know, Paul's living a life where I've got to become all things to all men. I don't know if you ever felt like that before. You, you feel like you've got to be all things to all people, and, you know, you just can't do that. Um, and, and so really, I, I think feeling the tension here between this pursuit of relevance and doing everything we can to reach more people and this idea of holiness, you know, maintaining God's standard and what he calls us to, there's a tension there. And it's not one or the other, it's both. It's walking in the Spirit. It's staying close to his word that will reveal that, as we'll look at here in, in just a moment. I learned this really great trick that I want to tell you about when I was uh, in college from one of my professors, because many times we look at, okay, Old Testament, New Testament, and where we are today. And we're like, okay, so how does the gospel, how does the New Testament transform into this environment, right? Like, how, how, how are some of these con things contextualized to the tw 21st century, and we feel like we've got to make them relevant, don't we? I mean, isn't that always a topic of conversation on news media and church culture of like, hey, so what are the things we're going to become more relevant on? What are the things we're going to change on? We need to keep up with culture. We're going to be on the wrong side of history. I mean, how many times have we heard that, right? So, I mean, we begin to talk about this conversation, and, and here's this really great tool that let me just kind of turn my back for just a second. So let's put a point at the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and the Old Law. And on any particular issue. Let's take women, for example. Is that okay, women? All right, let's put a, a point. The view of Scripture and how women were treated in the Old Testament. Men could have multiple wives. Women were property. They were slaves. Uh, they weren't valued for who they are. And then put a point in the New Testament. And I would say the value of women, Jesus' relationship with women, um, the role of women changes. You're not going to have multiple wives. You need to be 
one man, one wife in the New Testament. There's this high value of women and respect for women in the New Testament. I, I would say, I don't know what other word to use, but it's a progressive move from the Old Testament to the New Testament on women. Therefore, on that, we follow the trend today. We can follow that trend of women still need to, to be honored and respected, and uh, we don't have, need to have multiple wives. We don't go back to the Old Testament. Does that make sense? Is that you following with me? Let's take a, another one. Let's take, um, let's take salvation. Salvation in the Old Testament, you know, it was really a, 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 a proving ground to prove that we couldn't live by works alone, that we couldn't stand. No one can, can be successful up under the law. It was only through faith, and then that would be revealed faith in Jesus. So we look at salvation in the Old Testament, maintaining the law, and in the New Testament, it was through Jesus alone. So there's this change, this progression, so we continue in that from the New Testament. There's some things that didn't change. Be holy because I am holy. It's said in the Old Testament. It's said in the New Testament. So we draw one dot, and that dot's at the exact same level in the New Testament, so we maintain that. We don't change that. Does that make sense? So there's things that we, we change along the way. And the same thing, you can go to children, the view of children. We can look at sin, go through individual sins. And many times, uh, let's look at, look at children. In the Old Testament, children are more property. How do, we, how do we discipline our children? If they talk back to us, we stone them. In the New Testament, it talks about not like running our children into the ground and treating them, but respecting them, treating them in a way that, in which they'll love you and respect you, not in a way in which they'll hate you or die. So the, there's a change, there's a progressive movement, and so we continue in that pattern. So the same thing is, be holy, for I'm holy. And it helps us weigh through this idea of relevance when, in, in a relevant culture, when we're called to be relevant to the culture, but we don't want to give ourselves into relevance and a lack of truth and undermining the very truth that we, we hold so true, and it holds everything together, which we'll talk about in a minute. It helps us weigh through this idea of, like, what are we supposed to become relevant on? Like, and it's not changing theology. If, if we have to change our theology for, for uh, the culture or to be contextualized, I, I'd say it's a weak gospel in the first place. I, I believe that the gospel should be able to preach in every culture across the world. And it may be countercultural, but Jesus is, is both for and against the culture. In John 3, 17, we all remember John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You remember that one. John 3, 17 is that, that God came into the world not to condemn the world, but to do what? To save it. So in that statement, we see that God is both for culture. He's not here to condemn them, but he's, a, he's here to save them, to redeem them, to draw them back to himself. And so that, there's this tension that I think we feel on the micro level, and it, certainly we see it in the macro level, and we understand what I want us to get today is that we have a role in shaping that right where we're at. So let's go into what we've done every single Every single week, we take these two, this tension, this kind of conversation, and we move it to Jesus and be like, Jesus, talk to us. Reveal to us, because Jesus is this perfect example of holiness and relevance, that many times he was not in the holiest of places, but he operated in the, in the holiest of ways, and he was led in the, in the most holy, um, from the, the Holy One himself. So let's go to John chapter 17. And I love these moments that we get through the Gospels in which we get to hear Jesus pray. I think these are incredible things. Sometimes he's praying for people. Several times we get where Jesus is just praying to the Father for us. I think those are like the coolest things in the world to read what Jesus' prayer was for 
us. Like, that is powerful. And so we're going to read just a a handful of verses here, 13, I believe, through 19, and really unpack what this looks like to live a life that's both holy and both relevant as well. I'm coming to you now, coming to the Father, he's praying, but but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So we're going to unpack Jesus' purposes and desires for us in this prayer. We're going to look at four of them. What's Jesus' first desire? Why is he praying this while he's still in the world? So that they may have the full measure of his joy within us. That we may have the, his full measure of joy within us. You say, well, what's, what's the full measure of the Lord's joy? Okay, the full measure of joy. So what is that? Well, if we look at a passage in Hebrews 12, 2, it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy, I believe in that text, what it's revealing is that the, the joy that's, that's before him is us. His, the joy is for love of the world, obedience to the Father, and, and love for people in this world. He didn't come to condemn it, but to save it. That was the joy that was set before him. And in Christ's prayer of what's being revealed here is that our, we'd have the full measure of his joy, not our joy, not our happiness, and what pleases us, it satisfies for a short season, but eventually runs dry, but something that fills our stomach, a full measure of it, and sometimes the same word is, is written as running over, a full measure it's running over, a full measure of his joy within us. So that's a love for God's will and his way and a love for the people around us. And if I can just be, be frank, I'm, I'm very certain that all of us don't operate in all of that all the time. <laughs> no one does. We don't operate in a, a full obedience for him on a, a 24-7 basis, and we certainly don't operate for a full love of his people, the joy that was set before. We don't operate in that all the time, but Jesus' prayer for us is that we would have that. That we would have that, both, both a love and a joy, and like to please the Father and do the will of the Father. I don't know what your relationship's been like with your dad, whether he's still living or whether he's passed, but I know that our Heavenly Father today, like even if you haven't had a relationship with your father here on this earth, know that our Heavenly Father is good and he loves to give good gifts to his children. I know for me, like I've always had a pretty good relationship with with my dad and I want to make him happy. I, I, I think there's something within all of us even if we were abused and, and molested as a child, which is a, just a, a terrible atrocity, I, I think even within us, there is something within us that longs to please our Father. And if you haven't known your Father, there's something within you that longs to know your earthly Father. How much more? How much more should we long to please our Heavenly Father? That is perfect. Even none of us have had to have a perfect father on this earth, but who is perfect and, and who does always have our best interest at heart. How much more should we have that full measure of joy to please him? And then as Jesus, I, I believe, is adding here through this Hebrews 12 thing that we can connect, that the full measure of his joy is those that was set before him, the people of God. Like, that's hard to do. I had, I've had a situation this week, literally within the past couple of days, in which I wanted to just knock somebody out. Like, 
I, want, I wanted to just like do the old cartoon thing and just like line up. I'm just being frank with you. Don't act like you've never had that moment, okay? You can be all holy. Be holy for he's holy. But let me just be real because he's real, okay? Um, we've got to have this, this, I mean, that's just the reality of the situation where we don't have the joy that was set before us, but we have the frustration that's set before us. We have the resentment that's set before us. We have the bitterness. We have the emptiness that's set before us. We don't have the, the joy that's set before us for all of mankind. And that's a work in progress, and we're going to talk about that a little more. But it's his heart that we'd have the full measure of his joy, both obedience to the Father. I mean, we, we look at, at the nature of who Christ is to even be praying this, that Christ is fully human and fully divine, a, 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 a mystery that we'll never be able to comprehend but that he's praying to the Father, and we're, we're seeing this prayer, we're reading this prayer here for us today. Let's continue, verse 14 and 15. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. I've given them your word, and the world's hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. I think in our holy pursuit to reach people, we turn into people pleasers, right? How many of you guys are people pleasers? Just raise your hand. Come on, admit with me. People pleasers. Nobody wants anybody to be mad at them, do they? Nobody wants anybody to hate them. I mean, there's some things like, I don't know about you, but like, I, I was a terrible little person. Like, when I was, I was, I was mean. Like, I was talking about some of that stuff this week to somebody. I'm like, yeah, I was ridiculous. I was a stupid kid. Um, there's so many things I have regrets. Or I don't want anybody to have harboring those feelings. And Jesus is saying, look, I, I've given them your word, and like the world's hated them. And like I think part of being a Christian is like being okay with hate, being hated at, at points. And, and that's difficult. Like, hey, that's not the goal. The goal is not to get everybody to hate us. But I think that's the reality in some situations. That when they're trying to get us to move our ground, we're just not going to move our ground, chief. Like, we're not. Um, but certainly there'll be that tension always. For they're not of the world any more than I'm of the world. That we've taken on a new nature as Christ has eternally existed. As John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. He was with God and he was God. And everything was fashioned and formed from this Word in the Gospel of John, which we're looking at right now. John uses the, the Greek word logos, which we'll talk about here in, the, in a couple of ver verses. And as Jesus, like many times it's used as a word or a pattern, sometimes a conversation, word, or truth. In the Gospel of John, he always uses it to talk about Jesus, who has eternally existed, and everything was formed through him. And, G and then he goes on to say in John 1 that he stepped into this world. And that's what Jesus did. And he said, I'm, you're no more a part of this world than he is. And I think that's really where we get in, uh, and we have to, to really begin to understand, hey, are, are we living more in this world than we're acting not of this world? Let's look at verse 15 and talk a little more about that. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one or, or, or from evil, just depending on translation there. His prayer is not that you'd be airlifted to the nearest safe house. That's not his prayer. Like, how many of you guys in the past year, past two years, past five years, past six months, past six weeks, past week, You've just wanted to be airlifted up out of this junk, like probably pretty recently. It's unbearable sometimes for us as Christians. We long for the presence of God. We long for the kingdom restored. 
of God. We long for holiness in our life and all the world, but we live in a broken world. But this is important for us to understand that Jesus' prayer for us is not that we get airlifted up out of this joint. But we're protected from evil and the evil one. And sometimes we just have to know that he's protecting us from that. And I, I, can, I can tell you, there's moments in my life where I'm just looking for the eject button. Lord, just find it. You know, sometimes though, that has translated in my life, in my history, to suicidal thoughts. Like, that is, that's what you feel like, okay? I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there in that eject button. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I want to find it. I want to find it quick, okay? You may not be there today. Maybe you'll never be on it, I pray. But it's a reality of the world we live in. Wouldn't be taken out of this world, but be protected from it. I was in Cambodia earlier this year, and these beautiful children, we're getting ready to raise a lot of money for these kids over in Cambodia. I cannot wait. Um, uh, what we're going to do with, with um, Buy a Tree, Change a Life, you'll continue to hear more about that and hope you can be involved. But we were over there with, with a bunch of Christian leaders, and, uh, and you're going to see an update on, on Build a City um, that we've been investing in this year. Uh, later in the service, but um, one of the, the leaders I was with asked the assistant director, and he said, hey, like, do you guys have, like, an adoption program, like, where you guys, you know, a- adopt the children, and we get them to American home, and take care of, and he's like, man, you're not taking our kids. He said, you're not taking our kids out of here. He said, our kids in our orphanages and our children's home are the best and brightest of the country, and they're the best hope for this country. You're not taking our kids. And many times, I, I think that just plays an example of what Jesus is saying here. God doesn't need you airlifted out of it. He needs you right in the middle of it. He needs, he needs you in it. He hasn't, you know, not looking for an extraction point to get you to some commune where everything's going to be safe. He, he sent you to the world that we're going to look at here in just a second. It, it's his prayer that we wouldn't be taken out of it, but be protected from it. I love what Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Above all else. Hear that. Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What do you need to guard your heart from this week? Resentment? Bitterness? Fear? What do you need to guard your heart from? He's driving us, and we're going to look at it here in just a couple of verses. He's driving us toward holiness. He's dri- driving us towards relevance and reaching this culture, being sent to this culture. We're going to continue to look at that. But let's talk about you for a second. Like, what do you need to guard your heart from? Doubt? Pain? Insecurity? I mean, what is it? Because everything you do flows out of it. So every action you begin to do to reach the world, quote-unquote, reach the world, all that just begins to get blended in, and now it's resentment in my heart, and everything's flowing from that, out of that. Man, I, the Lord's helped to give me vision, and I've, I've counseled so many people. I'm not looking for whatever's on top. I'm looking for what's down beneath. Because what's happening up here is because of something down here. You were always looking at this, and it's usually about that. And, and today, maybe your heart just hasn't been guarded, and you just need to bring that to the Lord, and being like, get this resentment up out of me. Like, it's not holy, it's not pure, I, I want it away from me. And it's funny how much our heart and our mind are connected. Paul, who we looked at in that 1 Corinthians 9 passage, and we look at Romans 12, and he says, be don't, be, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. 
Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's amazing how much our heart and our mind, and we must guard our heart, or our mind, our heart just begins to loosen its grip, or it kind of is not on guard above all else. We begin to let some things into our heart that, again, make it to our head, and it's a defeating pattern, and it's a process. But don't conform to that pattern. Guard your heart and be transformed. Let's continue with this passage. Verse 16. They're not of this world, even as I'm not of it. He's repeating verse 14. Sanctify them by the truth. And he, and he brings on this extra statement here. Your word is truth. Again, we're in the Gospel of John. Jesus, according to John, is saying, like, I'm a representation of the truth here. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You may say that's arrogant, but it's not arrogant if it's true, right? <laughs> sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify them by me. Really, this word sanctify, uh, I won't give you the whole Greek definition, but it means it's basically the same meaning as be holy because I'm holy. It's pretty much the exact same meaning. It's just a different way of using it, and this is more um, of a New Testament theology idea that comes in as opposed to just a p specific state of holiness. Sanctification is more of a process that's talked about, okay? Just to help break that down. Sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is saying, sanctify them by me. Sanctify them by me. Because on our own, what the Old Testament revealed was that we can't do this on our own. Like purity and perfection is not in our perfection. It's in Jesus. That's where we're found. That's where we find hope and freedom and real life and truth. And it's amazing how much, I think, relativism and the idea of being quote-unquote relevant, like the pursuit of being relevant to the culture has become relativism. And relative, is that even the right word? I don't know if it is. I start getting confused with all the isms. But it's amazing how much that's bled into our, our culture and into the church. I mean, just a simple way to put that. And it's, it's a philosophically flawed idea for all of you that are philosophical thinkers. It's a philosophically flawed idea you know, because of what's called the, non, the law of non-contradiction. You can say that wall is blue, and I can say it's red, but here's the deal. Um, it can't be both. It's either red or blue, or it's neither. We can both be wrong, but we can't both be right. And, and the culture that we live in says, whatever you want that to say, whatever color you think that is, that's fine. But here's the reality of it. The maker of that paint knows what color it is. The maker of that paint put a name on it, even if it's a weird name like magical glitter, magical. Have you ever seen those paint colors? They're ridiculous. There, there's there's a, the truth of the matter, and it's revealed in Jesus. Sanctify them by the truth. Jesus' prayer is that we'd be sanctified by his truth, not our truth, but the truth that rests in Jesus, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Not by any other, you know, teachings or anything, but by Jesus. Not by extra stuff, but by Jesus. The truth is revealed in him. So you fall on this, the joy would be within us, both for love of God and doing his will and his way and for the people around us. And we may just need our hearts softened. You may need to pray the honest prayer I've had to pray before. God, I just don't care. <laughs> Make me care. That, that we wouldn't be airlifted up out of this world, but we would be protected from it. And we would be sanctified by his truth. 
Jesus kind of begins to focus this, all this prayer is why he needs you here. Um, actually, I think we have the Thessalonians passage. We'll go ahead and throw that up there. Uh, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable. We see sanctified and holy connected again. Not in passionate lust like pagans who do not know God. And that's, that's the sad thing is when Christians live like they don't know God. And God's called us to be sanctified by his truth. It's God's will that we should be sanctified by his truth. You want to know what God's will is? We should be sanctified by his truth. Let's continue on with these last couple of verses here. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. As you've sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Let's read verse 19. For, I th- for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. This is supporting just the statement I was saying a second ago. Jesus keeps himself away from profane things, lives a life of perfection for us because we couldn't do it on our own. He lives that life so he could go to the cross as a perfect, as a perfect repentance for us, as a perfect um, sacrifice for us and take our sins to the cross with him. I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Go back to verse 18. God's prayer here for us is, is not only just uh, about being protected from evil and that we wouldn't be airlifted, we'd have the full measure of his joy, but we'd live a life that's sent. The popular phrase, you know, in Christianity and Christendom has been, let's be in the world but not of the world. And I heard one pastor put it really, really well, and he said, I think we should change that to, not of, but sent. We're not of this world, but we're sent to this world. And this is where it, it really begins to dig in. And many times we think, oh, I'm sent to the world. When the Lord calls me to be sent into the world, I'll go. When he calls me to go over there across the street and talk to my neighbor, I'll go. No, no, no. You, you got a commission. You got a job description. Go get her done. Let's quit sitting back and acting like it's all just going to fall in our lap in this kind of... Jesus went into some tough places. Jesus went into some tough places. Some places that weren't comfortable. But he went on a mission. He didn't go just to hang out and play cards. He went on a mission. He went as if one who was sent. His whole life in this world was sent on a mission. That's why it wasn't so hard for him to say, not my will, but yours be done. I think it was hard, but it wasn't. We would live sin. I mean, that's what the last thing that Jesus lives, leaves with his disciples, and it's our mission statement as a church, that we would go into all the world and make disciples. That's his heart. That's, that, that's the mission that he sent, sent us with, that we would live a life that's sent. Not so much that we'd be so focused in the world that we don't look like we're not of the world. We look the same. You can't tell the difference. Uh, we wouldn't live a, a life that's, man, just looking for the eject button to get out of here, but we live a life that's sent to the world because Christ didn't come to condemn it, but to save it. We continually walk in transformation and, and saying, God, renew my mind. Help me to see like you see. Help me to do as you do. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. I, I've had so many moments in my life where 
And it's just been, everything's a process. It, it was a process in me, certainly. Where it kind of started in the place of my relationship with God, of like, I want the eject button. It really did. Um, and there became other moments in my life where, you know, I was walking with the Lord, but I still wanted to hit the eject button. But more and more, I, I, I sometimes will share this with people, and it's never encouraging, so let me share it with you. <laughs> that was a joke, you guys can laugh. It's never encouraging, but let me share it with you. It was a story of uh, uh, this young man who was serving alongside Mother Teresa, and he's going through a really rough situation. He's serving in Calcutta, and he's just like, Mother Teresa, just pray for me, please. I, I need this burden lifted from me. And we've all prayed that prayer. We've all asked people to pray for us in that way. But Mother Teresa lovingly says no. You can't really picture her, someone asking, you can't picture her just saying no, I won't pray for you. And she's like, God's working in this. Don't you doubt him. God's working in this. Don't be afraid. And it was just, she turned this idea of like not praying for you, but just speaking into you that there's nothing to fear when you're walking with the Lord. There's nothing to be scared of a culture because he hasn't called us to be in it, to not of it, to, to walk in faith and freedom, that we don't have to pick a lane of are we going to be holy or relevant, but, but Jesus is both holy and relevant, and he's called us to that. The only way we're made holy is through him, through the sanctification of our spirit, through the spirit. And God is wanting to start something inside of us today. I believe he's wanting to stir something up inside of us. Some of us, I think it's a real place where we haven't guarded our heart and some things are getting in and we just need to, to lay them before the Lord today. Um, I pray today that we wouldn't live scared, but we'd live sent.